Okay, welcome to a brand new episode of Guitar Talk. I'm your host, Jimmy Warren. Man, we have a great show in store for you today. We've got a two-parter. Never done this before. And uh, both people are from the same band. We got to sit down with each guitar separately. And so uh, in part one, you're going to you know, hear from Scott Holt, who's the lead vocalist and guitarist for Foghat. And then in part two, right afterwards, you're going to get to hear from Brian Bassett, also the guitarist for Foghat. Both of them are, uh, I mean, extremely talented uh, guitar players, uh, great guys to talk with. I met Steve back in, oh my God, in the 90s, and that when he was playing guitar for Buddy Guy. And uh, he's just been a force on the music scene for a long time, a very talented guy in that you're gonna really enjoy this conversation with him. And if you're a Foghat fan you're, and you're seeing him live already, you know how great he is. And then right after Brian Bassett, now Brian has played with Foghat for some years, but he was also in um, Molly Hatchet, played with Molly Hatchet for a while. And uh, you remember the song, Play That Funky Music, White Boy? What was the name of that band? Cheek, Chick, something like that. He was the guitarist in that band back in those days. So, you know, that iconic riff came from Brian. And so you're going to really enjoy that conversation with Brian. So do yourself a favor, sit down, put your feet up. Wait a second. Wait a second. Let me stop right there. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I hope you guys have an amazing holiday. So now sit down, put your feet up, get a nice cool beverage and enjoy this conversation in part one with Scott Holt from Foghat, and then part two with Brian Bassett, also from Foghat. Good. You know, you probably don't remember this, but we we actually have met and uh, years and years ago. As a matter of fact, it was uh, my first band had Kevin Johnson, the drummer in it, and I think yeah. he was he was a drummer same time you were a buddy guy, right? In that, and we met back in those days uh, when I couldn't figure out why you were with Buddy because you were, forgive me for saying this, so much better than him. Oh, that's nice of you. So it's not true. But it's nice of you to say that. Yeah, I know. I know. It, you know what? It's like when when you say stuff like that. It's you know, it's all personal preference and that. But uh, I always enjoyed your playing back then, you know, and and through the years, man. So. Congratulations on the gig with Fog Hat, first Thank of all. You. Thank you. Yeah, you know, well-deserved in that. So, uh, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit, before we go into the album and the tour and all that kind of stuff, Right. how has this transition, how has this experience been for you so far? Well, <clears throat> it was... Um the short answer is fantastic. You know, I mean, it's, it's just probably the best, you know, period of my career. Um, getting the opportunity to, to work with Foghead. I've been, I've been hanging around the camp since about 2016, writing songs with them and doing some recording. Um, there was just no room for me in the band. They were, uh, you know, a configured unit. So um, when Charlie decided to retire, I was actually at the studio with Roger and Brian and we were writing for their next record. Um, and Charlie decided to retire and they said, well, do you want to step in and be the singer? And I was like, sure. Which made us pivot from working on the new record to me learning the Foghat catalog so that we could do the shows that were coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, 
and it's a different work dynamic. You know, my, my history with Buddy Guy, Buddy never told us what songs we were going to play, what key we were in, you know, how the song went. You just right. you're supposed to right. know. And so that's how I learned. And then so throughout the 10 years that I was with Buddy and all my time as a solo artist, that's how I worked. I just, you know, it's, it's all see your pants. Some nights are great. Some nights aren't, you know, you just, you're playing. I got with Foghat and I realized really quickly that there's one way to play slow ride and there's no interpretations. There's no nuance. It's, there's this one way that slow ride goes and this is how you play it. And this is how it works. And it was, it was real strange to, to work that way after spending the last 30 years working exactly the opposite. But um, I'm so grateful that they were patient with me and they let me learn and they gave me the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm finishing up my second year with the band now and uh, we're just, you know, great friends and, and I'm just blessed to be part of it. I've, I've just got tremendous gratitude for, for where I'm at in my career and, and where this has led me. Oh yeah. I mean, Foghat is, you know, it's a, it's an iconic rock band. I, I, I recall being in high school, driving around in my car, listening yeah. to Ride, and, you know, and that, that live album was just so badass in that. But you, you talked about the difference between, you know, the, the, the way that you worked prior mm -hmm. to, to Foghat. And, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people that, that maybe don't live in the blues world because the blues world is a lot of by the seat of your pants, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, you read the audience, you do what the audience is doing and stuff like that versus something that's far more structured. Now in, in Foghead, I got, I got to ask, does everything you just mentioned that there's one way to do slow ride, mm -hmm. but is everything, is it, is it always, does it always have to be just like the record? well not all of it certain yeah. parts of it are are you know i mean when when you have a responsibility when you're in a band that has a 50-year history you know and i'm not the original guy i'm not even the second guy so i've got a responsibility to the history of this band to yeah. to to uphold the memory of it while we're still being a, a, a modern band and still an active band and still writing new material and recording new material so when you come to a song like slow ride I have to put in my head, the fans coming to the show don't want to hear my version of Slow Ride. They want to hear the, the, the version that they remember from high school, the version I remember from high school. So that song, you play it, it, it authentically. You try to play it as close as you can to the way it was originally recorded or the live version that came on the iconic Foghat Live album. But um, there are other parts of the show. Any of my guitar solos, anything I do, my, myself is is my version of it it's improv improv improvised um and i'm kind of the monkey in the wrench <laughs> when it comes to band, I, I get all this freedom and they don't really know what i'm gonna do so i'm you know when i'm i'm the lead singer rodney sings some too but i'm kind of the the front guy so all my talking is not scripted i'm saying whatever comes off the top of my head and some nights i'm sure they're horrified because they don't know where it's going, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, I refuse to be in front of an audience and not make them sing along or not make them interact because I came from one of the greatest entertainers ever, buddy guy. Yeah. And he doesn't let you come to a show and sit there on your hands. You know, he, he will literally come out of the, come out in the audience and grab you by the lapels and shake you to get you to, 
to be part of the show. And so I learned that that's, that's how I learned to be a performer. So um, those things are mine. And, and I, I bring that to the fog hat camp. What I have to do is I have to counter that with my responsibility of upholding the memory of lonesome Dave and, and Rod and um, trying to be um, faithful to that history. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we could turn atten- uh, uh, turn our attention for just a second, uh, you know, to, to your guitar and your playing in that, you know, uh, you, you hooked up with Buddy Guy pretty early in life. I think you were what, around 19, 20, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I had just started playing guitar. I've been playing for about a year and yes. um, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm, I met Buddy. My dad hooked up a, a, an introduction uh, with Buddy at a club. He, he was on tour with Junior and they were down in um, uh, Florida. And so I went to see him in uh, Tampa and uh, got to meet him. And, and uh, he, my dad did most of the talking because I was nervous. And he told him that I wanted to learn how to play guitar. And Buddy said, well, you know, come to my hotel tomorrow and, and I'll, I'll give you a guitar lesson. Wow. So I went to the hotel room the next day. We sat on, uh, he had twin beds in his room. It was just a motel somewhere. We sat on each of the beds facing each other and played guitar for like four hours. He told me stories about Sonny Boy Williamson and Little Walter. And going into that hotel room, if I didn't know in my heart of hearts that I wanted to be a blues player and, and this was going to be my career, when I walked out of that room, that's all I wanted to do. And I, and, I, and I knew from that point forward, I wasn't going to do anything else. And and that was just, that was it for me. He set me on my path and then he taught me everything. I mean, I learned, I learned things from Buddy that I do today that I don't even realize anymore that, that I learned it from him. It's just, this just, this is how I've always done it. Oh, it's because Buddy did it this way. And that's why I do it that way. You know, so. You know, it's, I, I cut my teeth in Chicago in, in a lot of the same venues up there, you know, because, uh, you know, I know Buddy and I've jammed with Buddy and I jammed with Junior and Otis, you know, Otis Rush and all yeah. those guys and stuff. And I can recall, I mean, I hope you don't mind us going here, but I can recall back in those days that the blues artists, uh, the blues guys in Chicago were very welcoming and inviting and almost nurturing to young players. Yeah. There there was a cat in town. I don't know if you knew him. His name was Buddy Scott. He had a band called Buddy Scott and the Rib Tips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Buddy, through Buddy, I met everybody from Tyrone Davis to Junior Wells. To, I met them all. And they you were know, all the, still alive and they were all still there. And that was how, how yeah. cool was that that we grew up in that era where you could see Junior Wells or Otis Rush in a club and talk right. to them like a human being instead of just knowing right. them with a CD, you know? But the, but it seems today, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems today that that world or that interaction is pretty much gone, right? I, I mean, I understand that a lot of those guys are gone, but you don't yeah. see you don't see artists, you know, uh, bringing people in and kind of I don't know taking them under their wing a little bit, you know. To right. Help I, I don't know if I could answer it because I'm, I'm I haven't been in that in that neighborhood for a while. You know, I haven't yeah. been hanging around Chicago, you know, like I used to. I used to practically live there. Yeah. So all those clubs, you know, Biddy Mulligans and Blues on Halstead and all the clubs, Buddy's Club, of course. I was in those places all the time. And all those musicians, it was always interaction and, and you were always hanging out. And 
Otis Rush would pay you a compliment. You know, you'd come off the stage and there's Albert Collins yeah. telling you that you did a good job. And you're like, holy crap, these, these people are, are legends from our record collection. You know, but so I don't know if it's still that way or not. But, I, you know, like you said, all those guys are, are kind of gone. You know, Buddy and, and Bobby Rush are really the two left. You know, I don't know of anybody else that's even left from that era. Yeah. Um, so I hope that the younger guys carry it on. And I hope that they realize that that's a very powerful component to, to the blues is, is, is passing it on. That's what will kill it. You know, if the blues is going to die, that's what will kill it is when people stop passing it to the younger generation and encouraging them to do it. And that's the case of any kind of music, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I mean, this is actually a common question I ask people, you know, simply because I'm, I'm curious, you know, I, I had a conversation with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and I'm asking him, are you doing that? You know, do, do you yeah. do that with people? And I understand people get to a certain position or people have certain responsibilities or certain schedules and things like that, and it becomes difficult. You mm -hmm. know, it isn't like, you know, like it was back then, but like you just said, you know, if, if that ceases to exist, well, then, you know, it's going to be difficult for things going forward. But didn't those times, I mean, you have to say that those times prepared you for where you are right now in Foghat. 100%, 100%. Everything, everything that I do, like I said before, everything I do now, I learned from that, that first 10 years with Buddy. That was, that was my college, my university that's where I learned everything. And so, you know, I make a point every night when we're on stage at some point in the show, I'm going to talk about Willie Dixon. I'm going to talk about Muddy Waters. I talk about Junior Wells. You know, I keep those, those names in the air, in the atmosphere, because yeah. that's how you keep those people alive. And that's how you keep that music alive. Um, and I, you know, I work with, with younger artists, like if people reach out to me for guitar lessons or whatever. I'm, I make myself available for that stuff because it was done for me. If there's a chance for me to give somebody a, 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 you know, a place to play or something like I own a record store in, in Columbia, Tennessee, where I live right? and do live shows there. And, you know, young artists will come up sometimes and, Hey, could I play at the store? Sure. And we'll set that up and let them do that. It, it's, it, I think that's just as important as, as, you know, it's more important than whatever clever lick you can come up with on the guitar. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's more important to, to press the, 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 the go button and make the blues stay alive and make it move forward. Yeah, most, most definitely. And, and, and so, but with, even with fog hat though, I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of their history. Right. You know, the blues is, you know, because am, am I right? I mean, yeah, it's like, 100%, man. Yeah. They, they, I mean, when they started the, the first, you know, the first record has, I just want to make love to you on it, you yeah. know, classic Willie Dixon written muddy water song. Um, and, and I think, if I contribute to the band in any specific way, that's, that's my c contribution is the blues. Um, not to say that the other guys aren't versed in the blues. They certainly are, but because of my heritage and because of where I'm coming from, I've got a unique insight into it. You know, a lot of the British bands, you know, they listen to the records and, and, and they, they, you know, kind of imitated it or, or did something different with it, you know? Um, but they didn't have that, you know, sitting at the end of the bar with Junior Wells, him telling you dirty jokes is different right. than the Junior Wells Hoodoo Man Blues. You know, you're getting a different right. perspective on the guy. So that's what I bring to the Foghat camp is, is I knew these guys, you know, yeah. 
and I knew they could, they were human beings, you know, they were, you could meet them on a good night or you could meet them on a, on a rough night and, and it all depended yeah. and they could be nice to you. They could be hard on you. It just depended on, on the circumstance. So I bring that element to this band. And when we, you know, we do a song um, like, I just want to make love to you. I have to talk about Willie Dixon. I have to talk about muddy waters. I have to put it in that context because that's the only way that I can authentically do what I've got to do with it, you know? Well, the, the new songs that I've heard so far off of Sonic Mojo, which comes out in November, I believe, November 10th. November the 10th, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, very, very blues-infused, you know? I mean, uh, very much so. And so would you say that that's your influence into the band, you know, that's your contribution into the songwriting? It's, it's one-fourth of it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm one of four guys, so it's it's, it. it's kind of everybody. The way we the way we work, or the way we've worked since I've got with them back in 2016, how we always did it was Rogers on the drums, I'm on the guitar. Brian's usually at the console to to record it, and we kind of start the songs with the guitar and drums just going together. Um, that's how we hash out the arrangements. That's how we decide what we're going to play. Um, it's all. Um, hang on, I got to tell my wife. I'll call her later. Uh, it's all about um, figuring out what we're going to do with it. Once we get that framework, then we then Brian puts his magic on there. Then Rodney comes in. Poor Rodney, for this album specifically, he was he was had other stuff going on, so he was only available for like a really short time. He comes in one day, and we had twelve songs. We said, "Okay, here they go," and <laughs> he was doing first take, laying down the bass on them. And had songs he'd never even heard before. So that's tells you a little bit about what a good bass player he is, you know. Yeah. So so everybody's contributing equally to the songs. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. 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 It's it's a four-way street. What about lyrically? Lyrics, um, everybody weighs in on it. You know, um, sometimes Roger will come to me with with an idea or some lyrics that he's written, and I'll take them and reconfigure them and and make it make the meter work a little better for singing. Sometimes I'll have an idea. Sometimes Brian's got an idea. I mean, it just, it just, it's that kind of flow. It's a really creative atmosphere. You know, when you're, when we're down there at the studio, um, the instruments are always up, you know, they're, everything's always ready to go. You know, Brian's actually the only one that knows how to turn the console on. So <laughs> if we're going to record, <laughs> he has to turn it on. But, um, but the rest of it, man, we can pick up guitars or, or drum, go to the drums and start playing immediately and and that kind of creative flow just really makes it for a magical situation yeah and so what what do you think uh or what are you guys wanting people to take away from this new album sonic mojo i think um you know it, in in one respect it's a celebration of what foghat's foundations are it's a celebration of american music i mean if you go back over the foghat catalog they've drawn from the blues they've drawn from r&b they've drawn from you know, everything, rock and roll, you know, Chuck Berry and, and Muddy Waters are key to the history of Foghat, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of it is a celebration of that. Part of it is is shining a light on on um, the fact that the band is is still a viable, real live operating band, that we're still putting out records, we're still making music, we're still on tour, we're still doing stuff. Roger is, you know, the Energizer Bunny when it comes to you know, between him and Buddy, you know, Buddy's 87 and Roger's 77. And I'm looking at them going, yeah, I've got a, I got a future. I can hang in there and <laughs> you know, I can make it. You know, this will be all right. Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah i mean it's just uh this this record particularly you know my first record being officially in the band i think it's just a celebration of the history of fog hat yeah you know in a lot of a lot of bands a lot of classic well i hope you don't mind me using this term but a lot of classic rock bands you know uh once they reach a certain point they stop making records and they just play the hits right you're right or they go out and they just play an album you know like right. I've seen the Eagles just do Hotel California. Right. Or Dan just do Asia album in that. It, I, I find it refreshing, you know, when you find a band that has such longevity that is creating new music. Is is that kind of the trajectory of a fog hat is to continue that process until? Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to turn into a catalog band. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, the the problem that you have as an artist when you when you do have a, a tremendous back catalog is you know you can go out i mean we could literally put together a show of just fog hat hits from the 70s and play that um and some bands try to put forth new music and you can see the audience just kind of glaze over waiting on the next hit that right. they remember right so that's a real balancing situation for us we don't make any bones about it. You're going to hear, you're going to hear slow ride, but you're going to hear the new stuff too. And it's all going to be played with the same energy and the same attitude. And, and, and if you, if you dig the first song we play, you're going to dig every song we play. Cause we're going to come at you with all of them full force. And that's, yeah. that's how you approach it. You know? Yeah. And that, that's really refreshing. And like I said, there's very few, very few, you know, bands with that kind of longevity to do that. I just give you, for instance, yesterday I talked to Steve Hackett. Mm -hmm. right yeah. steve steve's doing foxtrot which was a genesis album i right. just talked to martin barr who's a guitarist for jethro tall who is right. doing you know he just did the aqualung album right you know what i mean and uh you know and so to, to have somebody like that that's really it's really really cool so so i've always seen you play a strat mm -hmm. is it always a strat i mean does it have to be a strat no, in fact, I put the Strat down about 10 years ago. I was in the studio doing a record and I wanted uh, a Telecaster. Mm -hmm. So I called up a buddy of mine that owned a music store and I said, hey, man, I'm looking for a, a Fender Telecaster to, to put on this record. He goes, well, I don't have a Fender. He goes, but I've got this GNL that I think you'd really like. So uh, he sends me the guitar. I fell in love with it and I started playing it nonstop. That was my main guitar. Right. I got the gig with Foghat. And I wanted a guitar with two humbuckers in it, but I was still playing the telly and I'm liking that. So I called GNL and they're like, nah, we really don't have anything like that. And they were just kind of not really interested in, in making it happen. So uh, I called my buddy back. I'm like, yeah, man, I can't get any, any help from him. He goes, well, call this guy Lance at LSL Guitars. Uh -huh. So he, I called him up and I said, man, I'm looking for this guitar. He goes, yeah, I can absolutely do that. No problem. I said, well, I said, I've been playing this GNL for 10 years. I said, I really like this guitar. I said, I pretty much don't play anything else. He says, I'm going to build you a guitar. You won't want to play the GNL anymore. I said, okay, prove <laughs> it. So he did. He builds me the guitar. And uh, um, he's, they called me up and they said, you know, we do a relicking thing on some of them. Do you, are you interested in that? I said, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm paying for this guitar, right? So I don't want to pay a lot of money for a guitar that I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to scratch it. So he goes, well, how much relicing do you want? I said, beat the shit out of it. So here's, here's the guitar. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. There so you it's, go. It's beat to pieces, you know. Yeah. But, um, 
so that's been my main guitar the whole time I've been in Fog Hat, and um, and I take the GNL out as a backup, and and I play it sometimes too. It's still a great guitar. I love that guitar. Yeah. But um, the Tellys just became my thing, and it's weird because Strats, you know, you're a guitar player. I can see all your guitars back there. When you're used to playing a Strat and you start playing a Telecaster, everything's in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. You know, your volume knob's in the wrong spot. The pickup selector's in the wrong spot. Right. There's no whammy bar now. What All the tricks that I was doing on the Strat are not available. And th- it forced me to play differently. And I really, I decided that I liked that because it was a challenge and I've stuck with it. Now, when I go back to the Strat, it feels weird, so. <laughs> right. So, so on your telly, curious, uh, you know, normally it's, it's tone volume selector switch. Right. Right. Do you flip the tone in the volume? So you no, first, I leave it, I leave it like it, like yeah. it came, you know, I'm, I'm that the only things I really change on them, I put um, taller knobs that are like heavy knurled knobs, you know, and um, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's, you know, I take I, a guitar to me, if, if it doesn't sound and play good, at, you know, out of the box with a setup, I mean, you know, you got to get it set up yeah. the way you like it. But if you have to do other stuff to it after the fact to make it sound good, it's yeah. it's not a good guitar. <laughs> you know, you gotta, <laughs> if you're going to, you know, you need to get one that, that plays good and sounds good coming out of the box, you know. Yeah. I, I personally think the, uh, the Telecasters, the Desert Island guitar, you know, if you're going to have one, that's the guitar to have. You it's know? a hammer, man. It's it, yeah. if if a Stratocaster is a skill saw, a Telecaster is a hammer. Yeah. As Keith Richards taught us all when he hit that guy in the head on stage on that video <laughs> clip it's on YouTube, um, it's a valuable tool. I've used it for a writing desk or a, a bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put your drink on it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Do everything, yeah. yeah. Well, and now that yours is all relicked up, you can you know do whatever you want. Yeah, we'll see. I'm 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 not worried about scratching it. So it, our guitar tech, he'll joke and say, "Man, I put a scratch on your guitar. I'm sorry." He goes, "But I bet you can't figure out which one it is." <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you going in? What kind of amp are you using? You know, well for um for my personal use, uh, my amps are built by a guy named Tim O'Brien, uh, O'Brien Amplifiers. He's got his own patented technology for the channel switching and everything. I've been using his amps for gosh, the last fifteen years. They're my favorite amps. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this band, all our dates are fly dates, and it's all rental backline. So we stick with Marshalls, and for that, I, I ask for JCM eight hundred heads, right. and uh, and just we just use those. And and they're you know a Marshall's a Marshall. They're they're great yeah. amps, and and you know they they do their thing and they do it well. And you just you cross your fingers that you get one that's not beat up, so that <laughs> you right, know the, right, for the right. whole show, you know, right. right. Um, but so Brian, Brian uses 900s and I use 800s. Uh, we got two heads and two cabinets each, but I'm, I'm running one head through two cabinets. I think Brian's doing the same thing and the other head's just like a backup head. Right. Right. Well, it's refresh. Again, it's refreshing to see a band actually have amps on the stage because you, you shocks me how many, you know, concerts or shows that I'll go to and, there's nobody there's no amps no no right. every, everything's in here everybody's yeah. got a kemper or a fractal or something and like if you that go on you know? stage if you go on stage in one of those situations you right. don't hear anything yeah yeah you, i want the right. I want air blowing from behind me the monitors are blasting me in the face our our stage volume is is pretty healthy and it's probably louder since i got in the band because <laughs> i tend to turn <laughs> things up <you> know? <laughs> maybe it's i'm getting hard of hearing or something let's let's crank it up a little bit 
Um, with the Marshalls, you know, you have to turn them to a certain volume to get them to sound right. And then, uh, you know, Roger is a, is a 70s rock drummer. He's hitting the shit out of the drums. I mean, he's back yeah. there wailing. So to be 10 feet in front of Roger, most of the time, or sometimes a foot in front of him when I go back to the riser, but to, you got to overcome the drums, you know, so that you can hear. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I've had people try to talk me into in-ears and stuff and I, it's just not, it ain't for me, man. I could never do that. I couldn't go yeah. that way. Yeah. I went to a big, I went to a big rock festival and every band there, every, every single band that was on that bill. And there was a lot, none of them had an amp on stage. They, really? were, all, they were all using Kempers. Yep. No, nah, man, that's, yeah. that's not rock and roll to me. <laughs> <laughs> you I'll know, I had a conversation. I had a conversation one time with uh, my friend Carl Verhan, who is old school like you are and like yeah. I am. You know, they, they love the air, love the noise, got to have it all in that. And we were talking about the Kemper. He went out and bought a Kemper. He went in his garage and he profiled, you know, his rig and stuff. And he says, it sounds just like it, but I can't use it. Right. So it just, I just can't use it. And so here's the other side of the coin in the studio. We, we actually got a Kemper before we started making this record. So Brian and I are sitting here. It was on one of those days when it's just the two guitar players. <laughs> we get this camper out and it's got 11 billion different profiles in it already. And then you can buy 6 million more. So um, we're sitting there and we're trying, oh, let's try this setting, let's try this setting. And we we try to dial up a sound for a certain track. We ended up using the same preset pretty much for the whole record. And uh, I told him at the end of it, I said, you know, we should put in the in the liner notes, special thanks to old number 17 from because <laughs> it works for everything. But um, I mean, and for that purpose, it serves a purpose. You know, it, it sounded like it sounds like a real guitar amp. You can't tell it, you know, but um, for the for the live thing, man, it just I just can't get my head around the fact that you you wouldn't want to feel it. You know, it, yeah. it feel the same thing they're feeling out front, you know. Now, are you are you a pedal guy? Are you an effects guy, or do you like to go direct in? Pretty much, I've got a small pedal board that just has um, a wah wah, uh, a Wampler Tumnus pedal, which replaced my Tube Screamer as just my overdrive, which is it's just an amazing pedal. Mm -hmm. And I've got um, uh, a couple of the little Dunlop, like a Univibe that I do use on one song that we play on, and a Tube Screamer, or not a Tube Screamer, but a, a delay, but the thing I use the most is just the Tumnus. I use the Wawa during I Just Want to Make Love to You, and I use the Univibe for um, Slip, Tripped, and Fell in Love. And then the rest of the time, it's uh, it's just me playing, you know. Yeah. I don't want to be a tap dancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't, want, you don't want shit to go wrong, you know, where you're... Yeah, the more stuff you got hooked up in your line, the more things can go down, so yeah. That's it, that's it, you know. So you guys are uh, you guys are out gigging now. I saw you're playing in a couple of days in Michigan, right? Yeah, well, we're going uh, next weekend. We go to Boston and then Vegas. I think it's Friday night in Boston, Saturday night in Vegas. We're starting to slow down because it's getting towards the end of the year. But um, we're still doing, you know, a couple of shows a week and, and you know, out there banging it, and which is what I, that's all I want to do anyway. So whenever we have a day off, I'm always texting the tour manager going, hey, man, what time sound checking? <laughs> <laughs> when are we leaving? <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Well, you know, again, man, congratulations on the gig. You know, Thank you. I appreciate that. The, the new music sounds great. 
everything that I've seen so far, you know, is impressive. You've always been a great player. I've always admired your playing in that from back when you were 20 years old with Buddy Guy all the way through the years and stuff. And so, you know, I appreciate your your time too. Yeah, man. man. It's great to talk to you, man. It's good to see you again. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> we both don't have no hair no more. Oh, we're faster <laughs> now though, see? <laughs> streamline. Yeah, streamline. There you go. Well, I wish you all the best, Scott. I really Thank do. You, I appreciate you guys, it. You guys just kill it out there, okay? Thank you, man. Will do. You have All a right, great day. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, Brian? Good, man. How's it going? Great. What a beautiful view behind you. Yeah, it's fake. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll tell you what else I love. You know how rare it is to get a guitar player or a musician to show up early? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Punctuality. I, Punctuality. It's a good... Uh, choice you know yeah well you know i think it was pt barnum that says if you're not 10 minutes early you're late that's it right i appreciate <laughs> you doing this i've been looking sure, forward to talking to you and that i actually just talked to scott holt uh about a week ago maybe two okay weeks ago. yeah yeah my partner in crime yeah yeah i've known scott forever from back in the uh buddy guy days oh cool yeah well you know how good of a player he is man yeah. oh he's yeah he's yeah he's great he's great anyway I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about uh well your history and your playing and stuff but first i gotta ask a question i was watching some videos and i saw a guitar it was a telecaster it was red it had a piece of like uh natural finished wood through the center of it reverse yeah, that, yeah that's a maple a spurled maple it's a company called Diamond. It's a new company. Okay. They were they were well known for making uh, amplifiers, so they make yeah. uh, pretty uh, nice, you know, heads and four by twelves. They went into uh, into the market with guitars. It's a Korean guitar, although it's you know I I played a lot of uh, Korean guitars, and people have asked me to try them out. But this one was set up beautifully. It was you know it's actually a CNC cut, so it's real three D. It's very light. Plays like an SG Junior, you know, the neck on it and everything else. And uh, so it's been, um, you know, it was an endorsement deal. So I've been playing it the last couple of years, but I like it, you know, so it's 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 nice to play. I, I switched from Les Pauls to Telecaster styles. I played a Schecter PT for the last 20 years. Yeah. And that's really my my main go-to guitar. But this one has been on tour with me now for um, quite a while. Yeah, I'm familiar with with the company and with the guitars and that. I I kind of figured that's what it was because that's almost like a signature thing for them putting that piece of wood through the center of it, right? Or or some sort of you know strip or whatever through it and that. So are are, are does that have humbuckers in it? I mean, what it has two pearly gate uh, Demarzios in it. Oh, okay. Very good. And, Very good. Uh, not the Marcios. It probably has uh, Seymour Duncans, I think, the Pearly Gates Seymour Duncans in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. And so what are you going into? I mean... I, I play straight into a Marshall 900. I've been doing that for quite a few years uh, since we, you know, we, we play on backline as we travel around the country. Right. And uh, when, when I first joined the band, I, I was using um, rods. Uh, let me see. What was it? A rectifier, you know, boogie rectifier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when I tried to get those in back line, they were all very different. Now, everyone I got, you know, it sounded different. There's a million knobs on there. And I'm a, I'm a pretty much guitar straight into the amp kind of player. I don't use distortion pedals. So 
you know, I just crank the amp up old school, you know, at about two o'clock on the preamp and about one o'clock on the on the master and just let it rip. And I, I use a Wawa pedal and I have a, uh, a little compressor that I use for slide solos. That's pretty much it. A little delay echo I have actually started using the Electro Harmonics H pedal and uh, and the effects loop for just a little delay echo. That's pretty much my whole rig. Well, you've been at this for for a pretty long time. If I if I'm correct, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know everything, but weren't you a part of the original? I uh, was it Wild Cherry that right? That yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm the uh, I'm the guy that plays that opening lick. You know, I played a million notes in my life. Those will be the nine notes that I'm remembered for. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that was that was a huge huge hit. But over the years, I mean, you've. Uh, you know, you were with you were with the uh, the version of Fogat there for a while, and then you went to Molly Hatchet, correct? I did for seven years, yeah, and three yeah. albums. Yeah, and what was we that like? That was great, man. We, me and Bobby, played well together. A lot of guitar harmony stuff, so it was real challenging. And we wrote a lot of uh, guitar harmony parts. So that's as a you know as a player, you know, to hit one of those four minute endings and remember all the licks and play in harmony. You know, it's a real challenge. It was a lot of fun. Plus, yeah. got the tour. York. We were signed to a German label, SPV, and uh, we recorded in near Hamburg, Brackel, Germany, just south of Hamburg, in a nice studio there, run by a guy named Ken Hammond. And uh, you know, we ran into all kinds of people over there: Lemmy, Saxon, uh, you know, yeah. all the guys that were recorded at that studio. So it was a lot of fun and and pretty challenging from a guitar standpoint. Yeah, well, Molly Hatchet was always a, a great guitar band. Definitely, right, you know, yeah, you know, one of my favorite. You know, the guitar army, really, at the beginning was three guitars, and then it went to two guitars uh, with John Galvin on keyboards, and I played, you know, John was in the band when I was there, as was Danny Joe Brown, and and yeah. for a while, Banner Thomas as well. Yeah. And funny enough, my bass player, when I played with Lonesome Dave, and what we called Lonesome Dave's Foghat was, was basically his solo band, Riff West, one of the Molly Hatchet bass players, was our bass player, so, yeah. you know, we sort of had a, a, a strange intertwining of Molly Hatchet and Foghat, you know, we crossed, and he lived near me in or Orlando, Riff West, you know, Riff West did. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty fun, you know, funny, but it was a, a lot of fun. And, of course, Wild Cherry is where my professional career really started. Of course, I spent several years in Pittsburgh playing the clubs and, you know, learning how to play. And it was a great club city, dozens of clubs. We played five nights a week, four hours a night, you know, make a, made a good living, really, in the 70s club circuit. But... You know, playing top 40 hits and trying to work some originals in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh's a great town. A, a buddy of mine hosts the uh, Greater Pittsburgh Guitar Show. Okay. Place there in, in Cannonsburg and that. And I'm a huge uh, Steelers fan. Me too. I used to have season tickets. And nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guys that, you know, I've got the coveted Super Bowl ten autographed Terry Bradshaw ball, you know. Awesome. I used to work. Well, you'll like this then. My uh, uncle was the head groundskeeper at Three Rivers Stadium, and my great uncle was the head groundskeeper at Old Forbes Field. Oh, wow. So when I was a teenager, I actually worked on the road crew, you know, and uh, not the road crew, but, you know, the uh, field crew during the glory years of the 70s. So I got to stand right next to Terry Bradshaw and all the guys on that team, you know, while they were – well, we were painting lines and you know, doing stuff, you know, they, this, the stadium used to switch from football to baseball overnight. So we would work a 24 hour shift, wow. you know, changing the stadium over. And, and those guys would come out early 10 o'clock in the morning start, while we were finishing up and 
So I got to see them up close and personal. Plus got free tickets for most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Can't beat those. Uh, those are pretty pricey now. Right. Sold out forever. Are you familiar with the band Ghost Hounds from Pittsburgh? I've heard their name, but I, I don't think I've ever seen them. I think I was probably gone from town you know, when they came around. Okay. Okay. So you're not in I've, Pittsburgh no more? No, I've been in Florida now since the mid eighties. You know, I came down here along with some of my other Pittsburgh buddies, Warren King uh, was, you know, a big player in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. with the silencers. And we had a band together for a little while, but he came down to my King Snake studios. I moved down to Florida and became an engineer, you know, guitarist producer for King Snake Records, which was a blues label. Eventually Warren came down and as did Bird Foster, who was a drummer with uh, Roy Buchanan, but also in the silencers in Pittsburgh. So those yeah. are my era of Pittsburgh musicians, Norman Ardini, Iron City House Rockers. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Billy Price and the Keystone Rhythm Band. Those are the bands I, you know, grew up around. Yeah, well, Pennsylvania in general, whether it's the Pittsburgh area or the uh, Lehigh Valley area is, man, there's just so much great music. Has been forever. A lot of great players come out of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a great place to learn how to play. I mean, it said there was lots of work. They, people, there was cover charges back in the 70s, five bucks. You know, I mean, I was making close to a grand a week, you know, doing club work in the 70s. So, yeah, you know, I when I moved to Florida, it was a rude awakening that, you know, I was looking for a band when I first got here. Ended up after a year or so in a band called the Midnight Creepers. And that led me to my studio job. But, uh, you know, there was a bunch of guys, there was no bands, you know, there's a couple A circuit up and down the coast touring bands, but a lot of guys sitting on stools playing acoustic guitar and doing Jimmy Buffett songs and stuff like that, but not, not the kind of band work that I was used to in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you've been with, you've been with the reformed, you know, Foghat for some time. I mean, uh, how has that experience been for you this far? It's been great, man. I love it. It's my natural playing style, blues rock. I mean, I grew up on the British Invasion guitar players, you know, the John Mayo uh, school of guitar, basically, you know, Eric Clapton, Peter Green, Mick Taylor, you know, and uh, so that, and you know, of course, Eric, Eric Clapton, um, Cream era, you know, that's where I learned to play and the music I naturally play. I think the biggest adjustment for me was just uh, getting, you know, to play slide so much. So, you know, that was a deep dive for me into Rod Price's songbook. And yeah. funny enough, I got to play with him for almost a year uh, as a, we played as a five piece when I first rejoined. Uh, well, when I was playing with Lonesome Dave, actually, this is in probably 92. It was a or 91. It was an a anniversary year for Foghat. We were going to Europe to tour with Molly Hatchet, which is where I met those guys. And we asked Rod, he came to a show up in New England. He was retired sort of at that time doing teaching. And we said, Rod, why don't you come to Europe with us? And so we went, he came out with us and we played over there for a couple months and came back and did a few more months in the States. So I got to stand right next to him and watch him play. So it was like a master class for me on his slide technique, which was rather awesome. You know, he was a powerful player. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was my... Uh, deep dive into seeing how to do some Foghat stuff, you know, on the slide. Of course, yeah. when Dave asked me to join his band in about 89, he goes, you play slide, don't you? I go, oh, yeah, all the time. Make <laughs> <laughs> it till you make it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what you do. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's It's got to be, it's got to be really cool to be a part of what I would consider a legacy band, you know, in a lot of ways, because I know for myself, I grew up on Foghat. 
right? I mean, that live album changed the lives of a lot of people, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, not, you know, I mean, I was playing Foghat music before I even knew those guys, so it was yeah. in our subset, you know, quite a yeah. few songs, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great, so it's got to be really rewarding for you to, you know, to be out there and doing this. But when it comes to, like, I know you guys got a, a, a new album out, Sonic Mojo, correct? Right. Right. Correct. And uh, in that, are you a part of, is everybody especially in you a part of the writing uh, aspect yeah. of the songs or? Yeah, absolutely. We all work on all, almost every song together, all four yeah. of us. You know, we sit down and um, the great Kim Simmons, who we just lost uh, not long ago, submitted some demos for us. Of course, him and Roger go all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s when they, they were bandmates in Savoy Brown. You know, speaking of another great British guitar player, Kim. Yeah. Yeah. He actually uh, played on our last studio record seven years ago uh, called Under the Influence. We flew him into Nashville. We were finishing up our record with the great blues producer, Tom Hambridge. And we were, went to Nashville to get some special guests on, Kim being one of them. So we became friends then. Of course, him and Rod were lifelong friends. And when we were preparing this new album, we asked him if he had any songs. And he sent us four demos, three of which we worked on and, uh, and are on the album. And then tragically passed away. His health failed. Yeah. But it's a, it was a real blessing for us to have some of his last compositions on this record. Yeah, that's really that's really nice. Yeah, Kim was a great player. He was a is a great guy. Yeah, actually, you know. Yeah, he was person. a really good guy. Yeah, and so when it comes, let's say apart from you know somebody like Kim providing demos and that. How how is this the songs being written? I mean, I know a lot of bands and a lot of people write their songs around a guitar riff. You know, somebody will come up with a really cool riff and then that'll kind of expand. Is that how you guys yeah, do it? I'd say I'd say about half of them came that way. A lot of the a lot of the germ of the ideas come up in our live sound checks on tour. Yeah. You know, if we start sometimes it's the most creative. I get anyhow, you know, I'll just start Roger will be checking his drums and playing a beat. I'll just start riffing around and you go, Oh, that's pretty different. You know, and I try to catch it on my phone <laughs> or ask the sound man to do a little recording of it. And we sort through all that when we get into the studio, which is usually every year at the end of the tour, we prepare for the next year's tour during the winter months in our studio rehearsal hall down here in central Florida. I have my record, my recording gear set up there. That's where we do. That's where we've done the last several albums. And I engineer them. And so it's a really natural, very, you know, easygoing type of an environment because we're all set up there to rehearse. And I also have every, everything mic. So if Roger, if Roger comes up with a lot of the other side of it, you know, if it's not a guitar riff, sometimes it's a lyric idea. And Roger will say something like, you know, I want to do something like where I play side stick, you know, and that's where one of the songs driving on came out of that, you know, was actually one of Kim's demos. But we, you know, we take it and arrange it to suit ourselves. And um, yeah, like that, and Roger will say, I want something on here, like a little, you know, like Latin or something. And, you know, there's another song on there that, you know, sort of has a Santana feel to it. And then, you know, I wanted to do a couple swamp blues kind of things and then a couple straight up blues songs with Scott's influence and all his buddy guy stuff. In fact, some of the songs we chose there were out of his personal songbook of songs he played over the years with buddy guy. So a little bit of everything, um, a little bit of everything is one of the songs, actually. But uh, I think this record is a little diverse and stylistically. You know, we have a couple country-leaning things, a couple rockers, a couple straight blues, a couple mm -hmm. swamp blues. 
Um, and it's just really like the different styles of music that interest us or, you know, Roger's interested in playing or, you know, Scott, you know, every time we get together to play, he whip, you know, he whips out a blues song before you know it, we're playing Shake Your Money Maker or, you know, so, yeah. something that he knows the, the lyrics to. And when we do sound checks, of course, we don't play too many, maybe one or two of our set songs, you know, so mostly we jam other stuff and uh, that's where a lot of ideas come from. Yeah. Now with the new album, what do you want people, what do you guys want people to take away from it? I mean, what, what can they expect from it? I mean, I've heard it, of course, you know, simply because of, you know, yeah. Promo aspect of yeah. Sure. Um, I, my thing when I was producing this record, what I really wanted to do was have the songs on the record translate to the stage. So it's sort of bare, it's bare bones, you know, it's two guitars, bass drums, and maybe a little percussion, you know, I even shied away from keyboards because we don't have a keyboard player. So and there's a couple songs I had really heard B3 on, but um, but we worked really hard to get some nice clean tracks and separation on the guitars and keep it plain and have the song structure. You know, it's sort of amazing. We laughed because Slow Ride was, you know, 10 minutes long and you know, yeah. and a lot of the Foghat songs are long. Uh, we were looking at preparing this for vinyl release and it's like, man, all these songs are around three minutes. It's like the sixties or seventies again, you know, because <laughs> you had to make them short to fit them on, you know, you could only get 20 minutes aside on vinyl. Right. So we were laughing that all the songs were pretty concise. Uh, but that's, I want them to take away that, Hey, they're just good songs. And the boys can, you know, like uh, someone asked me, what do you want people to think? I said, well, and I want them to listen to the record and go, Hey, the boys are still laying down some good music and playing well. And, yeah. uh, and I'm having a lot of fun playing with Scott. He's such a ripper on the guitar. And so we have a lot of good dueling guitar moments, you know. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, uh, the the style of music that Foghat's always done and that you're, do, you know, still continuing to do today, you know, that, that blues-based, you know, rock stuff in that. I mean, it, 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 it really draws people in. I mean, it's something that people don't have you know, this is not going to sound right. So forgive me. It's something you don't have to think about. I mean, it's something you can just feel. Yeah. It's just, uh, not, it's just good old school rock and roll. I mean, yeah. you know, there's not, you know, we're not setting off flash bombs or nothing or, you know, no pyro. We pretty much hope for a good light show and, uh, and some good rock and music. And that's what it's all about for us and has been pretty much since, you know, the inception of fog at, I mean, Lonesome Dave was a, a terror on stage funny he was such a quiet guy off stage but when he hit the stage man he went off like a rocket and and it was all boogie rock and uh it was all you know high intensity blues rock and uh, we try to maintain that you know not too many ballads as roger would say we don't play no stinking ballads but <laughs> <laughs> i actually love ballads From the guitar <laughs> i do too and actually we do have one on there that I, that, that i'm really proud of so yeah so so for you personally though i mean uh after all these years of playing guitar and being in, you know, some really great bands in that. What do you do personally to stay fresh and to stay energized as a guitar player? Well, you know, I must say I don't practice as much as I ought to, you know, that goes along with that. One of Roger's favorite lyrics from our song, which is I don't drink as much as I ought to, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we play enough that I stay pretty well in shape and, um, and if I'm not really playing, I'm doing engineering. I'm also working with a friend of mine from the old band Novo Combo with, you know, had Michael Shreve on drums. I'm doing engineering for them and some post-production work. A new blues guy named Dyer Davis came out with a great record. I mastered that. So I'm about 50-50 in the studio, 50-50 messing around with my guitars. And um, 
but we play every week and we do it. I mean, we don't do 200 shows like we used to in the old days, but we do 60 or 70 a year. It's pretty much like every weekend for most of the year. And uh, that keeps me in pretty good shape. And and it's funny playing slide, you know, I have to make sure that I, you know, run my scales or else I lose my calluses because I'm playing with one finger slide, you know, for half the show. So, you know, I have to keep my other chops up. Yeah. Now, apart from, you know, be, being a, a guitar player, apart from the stuff that has uh, you felt has really influenced you, you, you mentioned the the British you know, blues rock guys, you know, from the whole Mayall camp and that. Uh, have you taken influence from any other genre or any other instruments when it comes to developing your own style of playing? I think working in the blues label Kingsnake, we had a lot of older blues artists. And so, I mean, I did a deep dive, like I think many guitarists my age that had that British guitar influence, rock influence. You know, you're looking at the records and you're like, you know, who's Albert King? You know, who's B.B. King? Who's you know, Otis Rush? Who, who are these? So I rediscovered, you know, all the old American blues players that actually inspired the British players. So, you know, it was like a reverse gift back to American guitar players to, you know, investigate our own heritage. And then I started working with guys like Sonny Rhodes and Rufus Thomas and Daddy Kinsey and all these older blues guys, Noble Thin Man Watts, were on our label. And, uh, you know, so I was you know, really looking into the guitar tones and the playing styles of, you know, some of these players. They play a lot cleaner than you think. You know, they're not really marshaled up. They're more like Fender guys. And, you know, it might be a Gibson through a Fender, but, uh, you know, outside of maybe, you know, Lonnie Mack, I think all the rest of the guys, Roy Buchanan even was a pure Telecaster player into a crank twin that would tear your head off, but but it was pure, you know, clean tone. And yeah. so you know, those those are the things I sort of looked, you know, got into as, as, as a different style from straight up rock playing. Plus, I was a big prog head too when I was young. I was King Crimson fan, yes, mm -hmm. Jeff Rotol. Um, you know, I loved the Martin Barr. You know, I loved the uh, th those kind of bands as well. So, yeah. you know, Robert Fripp was I loved him. You know, I would never be able to play like him. You know, and of course Jeff Beck. You look at a guy like him. I'm no one's ever going to play like him again. But what an inspiration, you know, for talking about a wide range of playing styles, you know, from rockabilly all the way up to psychedelia and everywhere in between and just his technique. So that kind of stuff. But I think once I hit a certain age and, uh, you know, your your style, at least for me, settled in, you know, in my late 20s. And, you know, you learn little tricks here, maybe learn a couple new phrasings, you know, listen to guys like Robin Ford. I mean, I appreciate the players that are just on the edge of jazz, but stylistically pretty much right. blues players, you know, get too far afield from that. I like, I'm a big Pat Metheny fan, but you know, I can't figure out what the heck he's playing. <laughs> 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 I, lo I love listening to it, but you know, right. I'm trying to, you know, I like the guitar players when I hear it, I can actually visualize it on the yeah. fretboard in my head, what the guys are doing, you know, what position they're in, you know, what scale they're playing. Yeah. So the big, really big, great jazz guitar players i you know i love jazz but it's not really my forte so i'm yeah. pretty much you know in that blues or maybe extended blues you know bucket there yeah i uh i, I actually started playing around the time scott was with buddy because uh a friend of mine that was in my first band was buddy's drummer at the same time scott was with buddy and that so i grew up around playing around the city of chicago hanging out with the otis rushes and junior wells and big daddy kinsey and right. all those people and stuff in that and that was always that was always uh my passion you know for for years in that 
I, I, I love technical players. I admire technical players, the, the Robin Fords, Larry Carlton, Alan Hines, you know, John Harrington's those kinds of guys. But for me, it, it always comes back to, do I feel anything from this? Right. Is it emotional? And, and you know what? And, and even if you go into the rock stuff, when you look at Foghat, you know, it really is. It's, it's a feeling music to me. I mean, I can feel what Foghat's doing versus I can't really feel it. I'm trying to understand it, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, right. And I think I'm from the same school of thought. I mean, I, you know, we worked, I worked on the first, uh, actually, we engineered the first several Kenny Neal records. You oh, know, yeah. great blues player, Lucky Peterson, one of the greatest, yeah. you know, multi-talented guys ever, you know, play, yeah. play B3 like Jimmy Smith. And then he would go, oh, I'm also playing guitar. I'm like, really? I mean, yeah. Brilliantly. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so those kind of guys, you know, like I said, feel it's feeling. And when you think about Lonesome Dave, he was a huge John Lee Hooker fan, and hence the boogie aspect of most of the music. And when he played solos, he was very Chuck Berry-ish, you know, mm -hmm. um, minimalistic, but you know, definitely emotional and powerful. And that's what, when I would get younger blues bands into my studio that are trying to rip like Stevie Ray Vaughan and not quite getting there. And then you get a guy like Sonny Rhodes in there or, um, you know, one of the older uh, players, uh, you know, they, this, there's simplicity there, but there's, they're, but they're at the top of their game emotionally. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain technically, you know, it's pentatonic, you know, and it's basic, but, the emotion behind the playing and, and pretty much all the great old blues players, Freddie King, Albert, you know, Albert King, mm -hmm. that emotion is what it's all about, you know, and the note selection is limited as it should be in, in the genre that it's in. Right. But, uh, you know, but there is always a difference between, you know, when I would see a young player come in and, and then see an, an old sophisticated blues man come in, there's a big difference in that, you know, and, and it is mostly emotion and heart and uh, yeah. experience. Yeah. That sure does draw people in, you know, quite, quite well. So, so, uh, uh, so you guys are still out playing. When do you come off the road and go back into the studio? Well, we do that pretty much every year around the holidays. You know, we end oh. up, you know, we sort of taper out. We play mostly spring, summer, um, because there's a lot of festivals and stuff. Um, we do several casinos. So that's some of our winter gigs are there. We, we might do a handful of gigs in uh, November and December. But we, that's when we break down in January, pretty much December and January is when we get together, rehearse, and and I, like I said, I'll switch on the record stuff and uh, try to capture some new songs. And, uh, you know, and I have a stockpile of songs that we've cut, cut all over the last couple of years. You know, I think two of the blues songs on there featuring Scott were recorded maybe a year or so ago. And uh, that's it. You know, we do it that way. It's all in our own place. Um, no time constraints. And it's sort of as the muse hits you, you know, we uh, we always select uh, new songs from the Deep Foghat catalog to add to the concert set every year so we can change it up. We always yeah. play the same four or five most known hits, of course. But we always try to pull some deep tracks out that, you know, people that have seen us many times might not have heard live. And, yeah. um, and that's what we do. We rehearse and if uh, someone gets a spark of an idea, we throw it down, you know, I always say on tape, but, you know, obviously hard drives these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that you guys are still making music, right? That, you, that you're still producing and putting out, you know, new, fresh stuff. Because, I mean, there's so many bands that we can look back at, you know, 
you know, like Foreigner or whoever that, you know, they've got their catalog of hits and that's all they do every single time you see them. And they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, I mean, they're amazing in that, but it's always wonderful to see a band still creating new stuff and putting out new fresh stuff. So hats off to you guys for. Well, well, thanks. And that's exactly why we do it. I mean, we are creative people, you know, we are, we're lucky enough to have some hit songs that keeps us on the road and keeps our crowds, you know, coming. But that being said, you know, we're, I always compare it to being a, you know, a sports guy. I mean, players don't want to play, you know, put me in coach. You want to, yeah. you want to do stuff, be creative and, and of course, learning some of the old songs from the catalog also keeps us fresh too, because that's a challenge. You know, it's a pre-written song, of course, but it's new to us and uh, um, not Roger, of course, but uh, the rest of us. And but then writing songs, I mean, that's part of the fun of it, whole deal. You know, is creating new music. You know, yeah, yeah. We love it. We love to do it, and we try to do it as often as possible. Yeah. Well, Brian, I appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. Well, to you. thanks. Likewise. And I wish you guys all the success in the world. I appreciate it. Be bad, go, man. Go Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care, Brian. All right. You too, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, same here. Well, I hope you enjoyed these conversations today uh, in this special guitar talk with Scott Holt and Brian Bassett from Foghat. You know, they've got a new album out, Sonic Mojo. It's a great album. It's it's pure fog hat through and through, of course, and uh, it's out and it's available. You can get it anywhere. I know these guys have been touring. They're out on the road, so make sure that you're supporting them and following them and, and that. And then individually, I don't know if you pay attention to Scott or Brian, but you should. And I want to thank them so much for participating in these episodes. Man, what great people in that. So have a great holiday, and I will see you right back here in Guitar Talk Studio next Wednesday for more Guitar Talk. Take care, y'all.